everybody, and welcome to the MACD Career Conversations podcast, where we talk to career people about their careers. My name is David Driver, and today we're talking to Anna Hussey. Anna, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here. And I, I do want to say um, that I think you have put together an amazing podcast, and I think it's really wonderful that you're not only bringing awareness to this uh, uh, field, but also letting the people who work in this field tell their stories. So. Thanks for that. I will take compliments all day, every day. <laughs> That's I'll how I know who to ask. My, I'll see what else I've got in my pocket. <laughs> we'll see. I, I'll expect a couple more compliments before the show's over. So, thank okay. you. So to get us started, just let us know uh, from the very top here um, where you're currently working and what your role is there. Uh, so I currently work at the University of Winnipeg, and I am the coordinator of academic and career services. And how long have you been there for? I've been at the University of Winnipeg since 2007. So I guess we're coming up on, what would that be? <laughs> almost, almost, <laughs> I, as, of, I, I as of this recording, I think it's 15 <laughs> years. Yeah. Yeah. So coming up on 15 years, um, I, I definitely wouldn't say math is one of my strong suits. So thanks mm-hmm. for, for figuring that number out. Um, but I've been in this role uh, since 2017. Okay. I guess, wow. So I guess your journey basically starts at the U of W, uh, <laughs> but we'll get to yeah. that when we get to that. Uh, let's start at the beginning, however. So Anna, let's start from day one. Where were you born? I was born just a ways down the highway in Brandon, Manitoba. Oh, okay. So outside of Winnipeg, there we go. Outside of Winnipeg, but <laughs> not too far, but definitely not, you know, quite the same as growing up in Winnipeg. In terms of this podcast, that's international for us. So, <laughs> okay. There you, go. So you grew up, uh, did you grow up in Brandon, Manitoba, or were you just born there? Uh, I was born there and lived there until uh, the end of grade four, and then uh, did move to Ontario for uh, four years, and then returned back to Brandon for high school. Oh, okay. So whose decision was that? That wasn't your decision? No, my uh, stepfather is in the military, or was in the military. And so uh, he was posted to Borden, Ontario. And so we went along <laughs> for the yeah. ride. <laughs> yeah. And how was that transition? Was that interesting for you? Because I guess that would have been during your teenage, your early teenage years. Yeah, the, the transition to Ontario wasn't bad at all. Um, you know, I, I think, yeah, it, it is a little bit easier to make those changes when you're younger. Um, and, you know, living on a base, it's a smaller community and you live really close to a lot of the people that you go to school with. So I, I certainly feel like I made friends pretty quickly there and had, you know, a really good experience and really enjoyed school there. And, um, you know, I think it felt really big, but looking back, I, I'd love to return there and see actually, you know, kind of how small it is. Um, but, but I would say that the return back to uh, Brandon at the point when I was entering into high school was a little bit more challenging yeah. uh, for sure. And, you know, the, the friends who I had when I had previously lived in Brandon went to a different high school. And so, um, you know, I, there were maybe some familiar faces from, you know, elementary school there, but uh, definitely a lot of uh, new faces there. And so kind of starting from scratch, not only at a new school and in high school, but also, you know, meeting new people. So, yeah. And I guess, you know, if that happened in this day and age, there'd be a little bit more interactive in terms of, you know, emails, <laughs> messaging, yeah. 
keeping in touch <laughs> with people's social media. I guess when you went to Borden, it, it was just a whole new life. And then you came back to Brad and it was another whole new life, I guess. Right. Yeah. When I came back to Brandon, I actually remember, you know, sending letters back to Borden to my friends that I had there, which <laughs> just seems like unheard of now. <laughs> yes. Yeah. A physical pen to a physical piece of paper. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So going through high school at that point in your life, did you have any idea what you wanted to be when you grew up? Did the uh, did you have any interest to go in the military at all after all this moving <laughs> and changing your life? Uh, no, no interest in, in the military. Definitely, you know, a uh, uh, great respect for that profession, but no interest on my end. I, I was maybe a, a little less practical and a little bit more of a dreamer, mm-hmm. <laughs> I would say, than, uh, you know, might uh, have, have lent itself to that profession, at least in the mind of a, you know, a teenager. But I, I, I gravitated towards theater at a pretty young age. So um, in elementary school, I was, you know, very interested in theater and I was really into you know, the speech competitions that you often participate in in um, elementary school. And so that certainly continued on in um, my high school life. And so I was really involved in theater and in particular, um, the high school that I went to, Neyland, had a really great musical theater program. And so I spent a lot of time in choir, theater, uh, taking dance lessons and yeah, oh, wow. so artsy yeah, <laughs> kinds of things, arts. I guess, <laughs> except for drawing and painting that I was never good at that. <laughs> so that was obviously something that you loved to do. Um, did you ever think that could be something to pursue after high school? Yeah, I think I, I did feel that way you know, again, from a pretty young age, I I felt pretty strongly that I wanted to do something, you know, in that kind of area. And um, so, you know, obviously had dreams of, you know, being on Broadway, like a lot of young people who have similar interests probably do. Um, And, uh, but, you know, there were times in high school too, where I also thought about other things. Like I, I really loved my high school biology teacher. And I thought a little bit about maybe becoming a doctor uh, you know, now that I'm a mom, I, I realized that like even my kids, like small little nicks and bruises freak me out. So I know that wouldn't have worked out well for me. Um, but uh, also thought about law school a little bit too. But oh yeah, I, I, <laughs> yeah, I think those are kind of the areas that maybe I mostly thought about. And then, and then journalism too was kind of tied to that, I think, uh, a little bit as well. So a dancing, singing, lawyer, doctor, journalist is what you've narrowed <laughs> yeah. it down to. Okay. Yeah. You know, if you asked my high school self, I- I'm sure I would have told you, oh yeah, I could do all that. For I sure. could be anything. No exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So you graduate high school. What is the first step? Because I know I've had some conversations, um, not only just uh, with people that I know who've moved to Winnipeg and people on this podcast who have moved to Winnipeg from other cities, but... I don't know, your next step was to stay in Brandon? Was it to go to school? Was it to move to Winnipeg? What was your thinking there after high school? Yeah, I I wasn't exactly sure where I wanted to go right after high school. So um, I did end up spending a year studying at, the, at Brandon University. And I just took, you know, some random first year courses. Theater was a part of those courses. Uh, but you couldn't major in theater at Brandon University. And so I, I had a pretty strong sense that I wasn't going to stay there. And I will say that, you know, 
I worked really hard in high school and I was very involved as well in a lot of different things. And so I was, I, I think I was just kind of tired in my first year of university and I definitely didn't kind of make the most of that first year. I remember sleeping in the back corner of a philosophy class, which, you know, like anyone who knew me in high school would just be like shocked that, you know, I would, I would <laughs> possibly fall asleep in a class, but yeah, my heart kind of wasn't in it. And yeah. so I, I, I took some time after that and kind of thought, you know, about what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go. And I ended up getting accepted after that to uh, a theater program at the University of Victoria at the same Ooh. time as I was accepted to the journalism program at Ryerson University. Looking back, probably it was like a little bit more prestigious to have been accepted to the journalism program at Ryerson, but <laughs> I, <laughs> you know, I just couldn't shake my love of theater at the time. And so I ended up going to the University of Victoria um, wow. for, for a year of university after Brandon. So obviously my university journey did not end there, but that's where I went next. Mm -hmm. So I guess initially, what was your thinking going into the, your year at Brandon University? Was it just, I like school, I want to go to school? Was it, you know, my friends are doing it, I want to go? What was sort yeah. of the pull to do that first year there? Yeah, I think it was a little bit of that. Like, my friends were there, they were going. Um, I, you know, there was some scholarship money that I was um, able to access to uh, attend Brandon University. And I think it was just that idea of kind of, you know, initiating that university experience and taking some courses to just kind of see what it was like. And I'm sure that, you know, the theater courses that they offered there were probably a big drive for me to, sure. you know, to be able to, you know, stick around home for a year, but still, you know, take some theater classes as well. Yeah. But then you took some time and now you're moving to BC. Wow. What was that like? <laughs> Victoria is an amazing place. And again, I think I remember it being so much bigger than it actually is, but I, you know, I probably also didn't make the most of it because I was a student um, there, but it, it was a great place to live as a student. I made some amazing friends there. You know, the buses were these double-decker buses that were beautiful and they took you everywhere you needed to go. And it was a really cheap, you know, <laughs> bus pass as part of the, the university, you know, package. And so, yeah, that part was, was excellent. I, I, I'm happy that I had a year of living there and I worked in a job at a store at the mall and I love that job as well so yeah and I got really involved in in um you know the theater program there at the University of Victoria but I also felt that something was kind of missing while I was there and um even though I was really involved and I was doing well I couldn't really put my finger on it but I wasn't 100% happy and I knew that my second year would sort of be much the same as the first year in, in sort of the ways that I kind of felt like I wasn't completely fulfilled there. And so it's at that point that I started to look at returning to, well, it's at that point that I started looking at other theater programs and it's from there that I was led to the University of Winnipeg. So, okay. <laughs> what was missing? Could you pinpoint it at that time? Was it like the style of learning? Was it, did you feel like you were progressing in this area? Did you feel like it should be moving quicker, should be moving slower? What gave you that feeling? Yeah, I think I was super involved. You know, I did all the things that they sort of told you to do. I was an usher at the plays and I was a dresser for another play. And, um, you know, I did all the kind of extra things that they ask you to do. But I don't know, I, I, 
I just, um, I didn't feel at home there. Um, I think, you know, a, a little bit of it was maybe the way that maybe one course in particular was delivered, um, which was really the primary, you know, theater or acting course that I was taking. And I, I felt like I expected it to be a little bit different and I wanted something a little bit more from that experience. But I fell in love with theater history there, I will say. I, I had an amazing theater history professor. And yeah, I, I'm like a little blip in her existence. But for me, she made a, a very significant impact. And what was the decision to come back to Manitoba? Did you miss minus 40? Or <laughs> what, was, what was the thinking there? Yeah, you know, you. it's funny. In, in BC, you, you wear your rubber boots everywhere and you take your umbrella <laughs> everywhere with you. <laughs> You arrive at class every day with your pants soaked up to your knees. Um, yep. But, uh, you know, I, in addition to not feeling 100% at home in the program, I, I did miss my family as well. I am very family oriented. My, my family's in Portage and in Brandon. And I just felt like I wanted to be closer. Mm -hmm. And so I had a friend who was in the um, theater program at the University of Winnipeg. And so... I messaged her probably on MSN. I don't know. That's probably what we were using back in the That sounds day. right. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and just started asking her questions about it. And it sounded really good. And, you know, at, maybe one other thing about the University of Victoria was that to be in a show, you had to audition and, and land a role. It wasn't necessarily tied to being in a theater class, whereas at the University of Winnipeg, every class would do a show or some type of performance. And I really loved that my opportunities to perform wouldn't be limited mm, um, yeah. as much at the University of Winnipeg. And so that was definitely part of the decision to come back home and, and you know, a huge bonus that I would get to be close to my family as well. Yeah. So. Awesome. So you end up at the University of Winnipeg. So your third university, <laughs> yep. your third year studying. So what was that experience like? Did you finish your degree in theater at University of Winnipeg? Or is there another twist and turn I, there as well? No, I, I did. In fact, I, I, I decided I would settle down at, at one university finally. All right. Um, uh, yes. And I um, completed my honors degree in uh, theater with a focus in acting at the University of Winnipeg. Awesome. I'm very curious now because you've now graduated <laughs> with your theater degree what comes next? Are you actually pursuing using this theater degree or has the seeds of career been sown somewhere <laughs> to pursue that instead? What comes after the university degree? Yeah, so I definitely graduated still thinking, you know, that I was going to spend my life in the theater industry in some way, shape or form. I Knew, I had a feeling that that's what I still wanted, but I wasn't exactly sure where I was going next. And I, I felt like I wanted to take some time to figure it out. And so um, I, I thought, you know, it's probably a good idea to work for a year, kind of figure it out and, and, you know, see where I'm going next. I did have plans to TA a couple of classes uh, the year after I graduated. So I worked as a TA for uh, intro to theater class or an intro to performance class as well as um, uh, did marking or I think a theater history class or maybe a Canadian drama class, um, something in that area anyways. But obviously I also felt like I needed something a bit more substantial. And so I did apply for a job 
to be the office assistant for campus living at the University of Winnipeg. I did not think I would get the job. Definitely didn't think it would be a long-term thing at the time, uh, but that was what ended up happening. I did one audition that I was invited to do for a theater company before I ended up getting that job. And that was, I think, the last audition that I ever did. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Were you at a conflict there? Because when you graduate from the theater degree, you already sort of sought out Manitoba. I want to be near my family. I kind of want to stay in this place. But my assumption would be if you wanted the best opportunity to find employment, you're very likely going to have to leave Manitoba with your theater degree. Did that ever crop up? Was that sort of a realization that you had that I want to be in Manitoba, but my opportunities are limited if I do stay here? And I don't know if that was a point of contention for you. Yeah, I think it it definitely um, is sort of a a part of the kind of puzzle there. I, you know, I really loved theater and I knew that, but I also was becoming more and more aware of some of the hesitations that I had about trying to spend my life in that profession. And, you know, I had certainly met people along the way who had worked in theater throughout their lives and, um, you know, while they loved what they did, they also, you know, had some sort of cautions that they would give to people who were maybe making this consideration. I, I remember actually going into one of my first classes at the University of Victoria and one of the professors said, oh, so, you know, do, do, does anyone here want to own a car? And, you know, of course, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure most people, you know, raised their hand in the room and he said, well, you know, just so you know, if you decide to spend your life working in theater, you might not make enough money to own a car. Right. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, of, of course, that's oversimplifying it. You know, many sure, people who work, sure, in, yeah. <laughs> many people who work in that industry, I'm, I'm sure, own cars, and I'm sure they own beautiful cars. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it it he he essentially was asking us if we loved it enough that we would be okay mm-hmm. not making a huge sum of money. And so, and the money was not a factor for me, just, just to be clear, you know, that was not at all part of the reason that I thought about not going into it, but just kind of wanting to sort of highlight that, you know, there are definitely people along the way who sort of keep it real, you know, they, Mm -hmm. they make sure that you know that it's, it's, you know, not always easy. And so for me, a couple of things that were sort of, uh, you know, kind of hesitations for me, one was the schedule. I wasn't so sure that I wanted to um, have my main hours of work be in the evenings and on the weekends. I was having a hard time sort of coming to terms with how that would work when I inevitably became a parent, which I knew was part of my plan. And also thinking about spending my life auditioning just absolutely terrified me, not knowing where, you know, the next job would be coming from not knowing if I'd have a next job lined up and then, you know, what would, what would I do? So a lot of people are, are okay with that and they get really creative when they work in that field and, and they, they have steady work because they are driven and they're hardworking and they're creative. For me, I wanted something more stable and yeah. I think I knew that and I just was having a really hard time kind of coming to terms with it. So, um, I started to consider maybe schooling options too, like, you know, getting a master's and maybe teaching theater mm-hmm. instead of you know pursuing it from the performance kind of side. 
So you're settling in at the U of W. How long were you in that role for? Uh, so I worked as the office assistant in uh, student housing for two years. So from 2007 to 2009. And during that time, uh, I'm very curious to find out when does career poke its head into this whole thing? <laughs> Is it because you were going through this inner reflection of like, what do I do with myself that that interests you? Or did somebody like point you in the right direction? Yeah. So in the hallway that I worked in, in um, student housing, uh, the very next office was the counseling and career services office. And I got to know uh, some of the, uh, so at the time, counseling and career services were together. They, of course, they're not anymore, but but that's how it worked back in 2009. And so I started to get to know the staff who worked in that area and, you know, gained huge respect for them. I guess this is where that networking piece that we talk about so much in this field sort of comes into play and, you know, got to know them and thought, you know, I think maybe this is a little bit more up my alley in terms of, you know, the, the area that I'd want to work in. And so when the opportunity uh, came up to apply for a job as the office assistant for counseling and career services came up, I, I took it and I applied okay. and I got it. <laughs> so, got it. Yeah. Yeah. So this is where our paths merge a little bit because did you take the training for the career uh, and employment coach certificate before you applied for that job or after you got it? Yeah, it was after I got it. So really my role, you know, when I started in counseling and career services was not in a career advising type role, it was as the office assistant. And so I would, you know, there, there, I, I would be providing supports, for example, for uh, some of the things that were done in career services. So like the career fair, for example, but there were no immediate plans for me to be helping students with career planning and exploration or with employment preparation. Mm -hmm. But I actually found myself working alone almost immediately upon starting in that department on the career side. So there were two counselors, but my colleague um, ended up needing to be away for uh, a little bit uh, of time before um, another person came into the career advisor and corporate recruiter role. And so I was kind of forced very quickly to maybe learn a little bit more than I initially was expected to know. I actually remember being asked to give a presentation in my first week and being oh, wow. sort of given the presentation and going, oh my, okay. What are we doing here? All these students are definitely going to know that I have no idea what I'm talking about. But it was scary, but also in hindsight, of course, like really wonderful because then I started to, you know, see this other side of what we were doing in career services. And I became really intrigued in learning more and in developing those skills. And so, yes, eventually my boss said, you know what? There's this certificate <laughs> at Winnipeg Transition Center that I think that you should take. And mm -hmm. so I'm so grateful that she told me about that program. I didn't know at the time that it existed and that she encouraged me to go and take it. And yes, this is where our paths cross. And that is a compliment. You were so happy to take that program because you met me. So that's the second compliment <laughs> of the podcast. We got yes, two. Exactly. There we go. Yeah, I, I remember that so vividly because that one course... Uh, I met so many people that I still know of and are still in my circles. And stuff. So it's just very incredible how that one little course, it was only four days over a few months, if I remember correctly. It, it, it's long ago for me too. 
Um, but it's just crazy how those connections you make just kind of last for a very long time. Yeah. So you, you jumped into it two feet in. How long were you in the uh, office assistant role there for? Yeah, so it gets a little blurry, I would say, like in terms of when I sort of officially transitioned, <laughs> um, because I definitely started, you know, slow, you know, sort of working my way into assisting students. So at first it was, you know, looking at resumes and cover letters, and then eventually I expanded and you know, I was talking to them about interviews and, you know, you know how it all goes. And so mm -hmm. I, I think that I probably officially became a career advisor and corporate recruiter maybe in 2012, but I was certainly functioning in that role much sooner than that, than I had the title. And then how many years until, because right now you are currently supervisor, is that correct? Yeah. So career services was, eventually we went out on our own and, and split from counseling and it has always been a, a fairly small department at the University of Winnipeg. And so a lot of my time working in that department, I had, you know, maybe one other colleague and, mm -hmm. um, you know, my current boss, Inga, who's amazing, was my boss for a short period of time in career services. And then she transitioned to uh, academic advising. Um, so for a little while, I had her as a colleague. Um, and then there were periods of time where I had one staff member that I was supervising in that department. Um, but then there were other times where I was maybe alone or maybe it was just me and a student assistant working on job postings. So I certainly started to supervise a little bit in careers in my role in career services, but it, it was fairly limited to, you know, maybe a, a small team of student assistants here and there mm -hmm. or one kind of staff member. So certainly the role as a supervisor and as a manager in the way that I'm doing it right now didn't start until 2017. And that came after I transitioned from career services to academic advising for a few years in mm -hmm. 2014. Because right now the department is combined academic and career. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. And when did that change happen? I think that was recent, if I recall. Pretty recent. Yeah. So, um, so I ended up moving, uh, you know, while I was in career services, I, um, I also uh, did that the facilitation skills uh, certificate from Winnipeg Transition Center. Another and, good course. <laughs> yeah, it was very good. Um, yeah, it's a wonderful place, Winnipeg Transition Center. I, I think people, people have had so many meaningful experiences there, and I'm so grateful um, for the experiences that I had. And I, I, I then became certified in uh, the Strong Interest Inventory at the very end of my time in career services. But... I found that I was really longing to work as part of a larger team. And in addition to that, I wanted to sort of expand what I was doing. And so in 2014, I moved into a role as an academic advisor. And oh. at that time, career services and academic advising were not together. They were separate. So yes, there's more to this story. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess my question from that would be, it seems like the U of W has tried a different ways of organizing career services. Is there a specific reason why academic and career advising is now combined into one? Is it more students would overlap their needs a lot and then, you know, maybe one person could deal with those overlapping needs or is this a strategy to maybe get students to see these people more often? If as if there's like a, a conscious strategy there or is that just the best way to organize yourselves? I don't know if you want to <laughs> comment on that. Yeah. So 
there's definitely a lot of ways that you could do it and a lot of ways that institutions have organized their career services. Sometimes it's paired with co-op. Sometimes it's paired with uh, academic advising like we do at U of W. Um, and there are, there are other combinations that are done. So, you know, um, definitely, you know, it's not the only um, sort of setup that can work. But we were certainly seeing that there, there, were, there was overlap between mm -hmm. academic advising and career advising. And so it did seem like a natural fit in that way because oftentimes students who had questions about their academic journey were also wondering uh, about career development and, and where they were going. So it, it absolutely made sense from that point of view. And yes, it, it, it brought more awareness to the career services side. I think sometimes it's a struggle to have that visibility yeah. and to you know make sure that students know that, that we're there. And it also meant that we had more individuals on our team who were able to do that career advising piece. And so, yeah, all of those things. And that came about in 2017. Yeah, and I, I assume that, I don't know if you would agree or not, but my assumption with probably your biggest challenge with your student body is that they're not sure what to do with their education. And probably a big part of it is that they may not even know that you exist. Because I don't know, in your time in your career going to university, if you ever sought out career services, um, I know personally myself, I never sought out career services for anything. And I think that story is true of some other people I've talked to as well. <laughs> but you had never engaged at all in your career services in, at any of your three universities that you attended? Never, never. Yeah. And it's so embarrassing to think back on that. <laughs> I never did. And you know what? The academic advising that I had was done in the theater department. So I really stuck the theater department and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, didn't really explore too much beyond that. So I wish I had. I really do. There's some really great work I think I could have done at that point in my life to really get to know myself and and, you know, better understand what might be a good fit for me. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest conundrum that we're kind of facing as a profession when it comes to university students, because I think I've heard the story so many times where people go to university and they're not exactly sure what to do with it. And they're not exactly sure even why they're going. And yeah. for you, I don't know if that is something that you see as an issue. I mean, it can be a good thing. It can be a bad thing. Yeah, it definitely is a challenge that we see. And it, it's certainly something that we we find students are 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 quite scared by you know mm -hmm. uh, you, students might choose a path that's very straightforward or seemingly straightforward like you know they decide to go into education and so they're going to become a teacher or they they go into medicine they're probably going to become a doctor some of those you know pathways are are very straightforward and and students really come into university knowing you know where they're starting and where they're going but there are so many programs that you can, you know, choose and so many majors that you can um, select from that really don't have a direct correlation with a specific career. And so we absolutely see students who are uncertain or who are confused. We definitely talk to students who uh, want to choose something that is going to feed into something, you know, that's a bit more of a guarantee. Um, I think in one of the struggles, you know, at, at, um, a university as well is that sometimes there is a little bit of a divide between the academic side and the more practical uh, side, which is, you know, what are 
the outcomes for these students going to be. Mm -hmm. And I, I think we're seeing a little bit more of a shift towards um, universities really becoming aware that students, you know, are not just coming to university to get a degree, but oftentimes they're coming because they want a specific career or because they want to have more options available to them once they do graduate. So I think we need to continue to try to build awareness of career services. I would love for every single student to <laughs> come to career services when they start and when yeah. they are looking at ending their uh, degree. So mm -hmm. we will keep working towards that. Yeah. <laughs> You've been in the same space for a while now. Uh, we won't do the math again. But have you either seen university students, like their attitudes or their strengths or weaknesses change throughout the years? Or has your strategy as a department changed throughout the years to kind of meet the needs that have evolved? I don't know if you had any insight in terms of we used to do some stuff 10 years ago or, you know, we used to see students 10 years ago that had more of these issues, but now it's more of these issues or more of these things that we need to help them with. Um, how is the growth? Has there been any growth, I guess? And is there anything that you've done to meet those needs? I think that, you know, I mean, and some of this is related to the pandemic, but I, I, I definitely think mm -hmm. that we've had to start to think of new ways to engage with our students. Because, you know, back when I first started, you could set up an information session and have 20 students attend, whereas now you might set up an information session and two students are going to attend. So I do think that students are engaging and connecting with university in different ways. And that's definitely been um, a little bit of a challenge and a little bit of a puzzle for us to sort of try to figure out. And so that is where we've started doing more things like, you know, trying to engage with students on Instagram, um, you know, mm. um, and, and, you know, we know they're all using social media. And so we're also, you know, posting a lot on our social media as well. And so that's been really important. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, that's nothing new that what I'm telling you is, is <laughs> you know, definitely the way that a lot of institutions have had to go. We do, we are quite involved in my department with student appeals. And so we definitely do hear about you know, the really challenging situations that students are facing. I think that people are a little bit more open now um, and they feel a bit more comfortable sharing, you know, mental health struggles that they might be experiencing. And so I would say that is something that is more prominent. And I don't know if it's something that students are experiencing more so much as that people are becoming a bit more comfortable being open about it and, you know, that we are making sure that students know that we're here for them and there'll be no judgment if they want to, you know, come and connect with us. And sort of to your point there, I, I guess I'm contractually, <laughs> I'm obligated to ask about COVID-19 with every guest. <laughs> um, the change that you guys have experienced, are there any positive changes that you have experienced? Is there anything that you will likely keep after quarantine? Because I guess the assumption would be that in-person services are best way to engage and that is everyone's preference but mm -hmm. I think some organizations I've talked to have said well it seems like the online stuff is actually just as engaging if not more so I don't know in your department there if you're seeing that some positive changes have come from the quarantine and what those are yeah we definitely have obviously the pandemic is horrible and um, yeah. so disruptive, <laughs> but we have absolutely seen some positive things come out of this. It really pushed us to very quickly adapt to, um, you know, using technology more effectively and working with students online. 
And we definitely see that many of our students love being able to access our services more easily online. So even when we went back to campus for a period of time in the fall, we still continued to offer our drop-ins via Zoom instead mm -hmm. of offering them in person to make them so much more accessible for students so that they wouldn't need to come down to campus for a 10-minute question. And so I think we'll con continue that in some way, shape, or form. I I'm sure we'll still offer in-person drop-ins once things go back to normal, but we will also continue to offer our appointments online as well. Uh, so any student can choose to come in person or online. And it's not just in our department. I know that, it, you know, counseling at the University of Winnipeg has also felt that some students have really benefited from online appointments. And you would think that that's a field where they really would want to be meeting in person. But in some ways, it makes it easier for students to share some of the more challenging things that they might be sharing in some of those appointments. Mm. And they don't feel as vulnerable. And so they're able to be a little bit more open. And so, yeah, we've absolutely seen some really great things. I think it's a very exciting time for our profession because I think at the end of the day, this is just more ways to engage with people. Yeah. And we're not stuck in one because I think before, yeah, we were stuck doing in person and obviously mm -hmm. in quarantine, we're stuck doing virtual. Yeah. And now whenever the <laughs> pandemic should choose to end, uh, yeah. we have the option to do both. So I think that's a really exciting opportunity. And uh, I guess the last question I had for you, Anna, was... How often do you lean on your own experiences and your own story there to help students? Because I'm guessing that you see a lot of students that might be at a fork in the road themselves. They could go one way, they could go another way. And you were obviously in that same situation. I don't know if you ever think about what if I chose Ryerson journalism? Do you ever think yeah. about your path if you chose that instead? I, my assumption might be that you would have wound up back in Winnipeg anyway, given your feelings. <laughs> I don't know if you ever lean on that um, that experience, first of all, and then second of all, yeah, do you ever yourself think about, well, what if I took another path? Where would I be? Yeah, I definitely think about that. And, you know, um, in, in some ways, you know, it, it's hilarious to me to talk about my journey to into this profession because, you know, I, in many ways, didn't plan for it and, and got very lucky. And of course, there was, there was love and, and passion there, or I wouldn't have stayed in this field. But um, you know, I definitely didn't think this is where I would end up. I, you know, I do wonder sometimes what, what would have happened if I'd gone, you know, to school for journalism. I think I'm, I'm pleased that that's not where I'm at right now because I can't really <laughs> imagine like chasing, you know, the next story or my plan was to go into broadcast journalism. And I am actually very introverted <laughs> with something that I've realized as I've gotten older, you know, um, sitting and chatting is okay, but I also really love, you know, um, not being in the spotlight. And so I don't think that would have ultimately brought me as much happiness as maybe I would have felt originally. But um, yeah, and you know, with students, I I will often tell students about my journey into uh, this area because people are often surprised to hear that I studied theater. And it's, you know, they're like, well, how did, how on earth did you end up where you're at? And so <laughs> I think I, I like to use that as a really solid example of how your education can give you a foundation and can provide you with these really great skills uh, that are transferable into many other areas. And so, you know, just because I studied theater doesn't mean that that's the only option for me. And so I've definitely used myself as, as an example 
um, in in certain ways for students mm -hmm. to kind of highlight that you know their op their opportunities are not limited to the subject that they are studying. And um, just finally, Anna, uh, if someone wanted to get into this profession, if somebody wanted to follow in your footsteps, what advice would you give to somebody who wants to have a career in career? <laughs> I'm, I, I, I wish I had something, you know, just mind blowing to share with you <laughs> on this topic. <laughs> but I think, you know, the advice that I would give to someone wanting to get into this profession would probably be similar to the advice that I would give to someone really uh, looking at any profession, which would be to, you know, do your informational interviews, talk to people who are working in this field and get a sense of what the day to day is like, get a sense of what they love, get a sense of what's maybe a challenge, find out, you know, all of the different kind of areas within career development that one could work in because it's, you know, it, it's, it's actually a fairly broad field. And, um, you know, there, you know, might work in research, you might work, you know, like we do with, with clients or with students. Mm -hmm. um, and so that would definitely be one piece. Um, you know, of, of course, getting some really good um, uh, education and training, if it is available to you financially and in terms of time would be great. Though I uh, am a prime example of someone who has also learned a lot on the job. So I certainly think that's possible too. And yeah, I think just getting a sense of you know, making sure like doing that self-assessment that we encourage our clients to do and just making sure that this is a good fit mm -hmm. for, for you. Um, and then networking, I, you know, I mean, we talk so much about networking, but that is really important. You know, I know I can think of an example of one of our um, current advisors reaching out to me on LinkedIn when we had a hiring competition going on and, and saying, you know, just so you know, I've submitted my application for, you know, this advising role. And, you know, I probably would have noticed their application regardless, but going that extra step really ensured that I looked out for their name and we get a lot of applicants to our positions and it can be hard to create our shortlist. So mm -hmm. finding those ways to make sure that people remember your name. And so of course, you know, informational interviews, that networking piece, I think pretty standard stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Anna. So thank you so much for joining me today on the show. Um, but before we go, there is the dreaded impossible <laughs> trivia question that we need to go through. We in career, we don't have all the answers, uh, but we are always working towards them. So Anna, are you ready for your impossible trivia question? I don't think I'll ever be ready, but I think, you know, <laughs> now's the time. So. Right. so you are a theater uh, history buff. Uh, are you at all a war history buff as well? I am. I am not. I, yeah. My husband is a trivia buff. He's going to be hugely disappointed in me, I think. But He's going to be shouting the answer. <laughs> this is a different kind of theater, the theater of war here. So okay. your question, uh, the Anglo-Zanzibar War was a military conflict between the United Kingdom and Zanzibar. So aptly named the Anglo-Zanzibar War. Um, this war is significant, Anna, because it's the shortest war in human history ever recorded. Anna, your impossible trivia question. How long was the Anglo-Zanzibar War? Oh, okay. I'm going to go with 10 minutes. Oh. <laughs> You're in the right area. 
the official answer, the Anglo-Zanzibar War lasted 38 minutes. Wow. So wow. you were under an hour. You, you almost <laughs> fell into my trap, but not almost. <laughs> but uh, there you go. 38 minutes was the world's shortest war. So. Wow. You were in the I ballpark, very... though. So good job. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm happy I know that little tidbit now. All right, Anna. So again, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, it's really interesting to see because I've known you for a while and I know you've been at U of W for a while. So it's really interesting to talk to you about not only your journey. And again, we all learned that you are apparently going to be on Hamilton on Broadway soon. Um, <laughs> but just your journey in terms of U of W, what you've seen, what you've experienced, how it's transformed. Uh, that's very, very interesting. So thank you so much for joining me. Today. Okay. Have a good okay. day. Have a good rest of your day. You Anna. too. Take care. For more information on MACD, including professional development, conferences, and other opportunities, please visit our website at www.macd-mb.org.